Welcome to the CA Agenda podcast, brought to you by ICAS. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Samati Sharma, who is a partner at global management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. Prior to joining Oliver Wyman, Samati qualified with EY in 2001 before moving on to join Virgin Atlantic. Over the course of the last 16 years, Samati has taken on a variety of roles at Virgin across finance, strategy, commercial, and HR covering both the airline and tour operator Virgin Holidays. Samati successfully led the design and implementation of the 13 billion expanded joint venture with Delta Airlines and Air France KLM, creating the pre-eminent transatlantic aviation joint venture that commands a quarter of the airline capacity between the UK and Europe and the US. The programme was a success thanks to Samati's ability to form strong and meaningful relationships at the most senior levels. And most recently, she led the Virgin Atlantic's COVID-19 cost restructuring program. Beyond her extensive work across strategy and finance, Samati is also a champion for diversity and inclusion in the travel industry, speaking regularly on diversity topics, including at the House of Commons and the Aviation 2050 conference. She is the founder and board co-chair for the Women in Aviation and Aerospace Charter with more than 220 companies listed as signatories and supported by the UK government, the Charter is committed to creating a more balanced and fair industry for women. Welcome, Samati, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I've been listening to the excellent series and I've enjoyed them, uh, especially the last one where the tables were turned on you. I didn't know that you enjoyed gardening so much. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. I remember when we met last time three years ago at the Young CA Summit in the City of London in 2018. But if I'm honest, I remember more your talented wife, but that's probably not the first time you've heard that. (laughs) That's definitely not the first time and probably not the last time. But thank you so much, Samati. I'm really really glad that you've been enjoying the series and really looking forward to this episode today. Likewise. So, Samati, I'll I'll start off with the first first question for you. Um, and you've had a, a absolutely fantastic and very interesting career in the in the aviation and travel sector. So, very very keen to understand a bit more about that. But I guess it's really important to start off at the beginning. So, what what was it that first attracted you to the profession, and more specifically, the CA qualification? Yeah, it's a great question. So just to share a bit of my story and background, um, I was born in London and my dad is from Kenya and my mum is from India. Uh, I moved around quite a bit as a kid. I was quite geeky, quite nerdy. I was really into studying. Um, And my older cousin, Rashmi, uh, she became my role model quite early on. She trained as a chartered accountant in the 1980s with Coopers and Lybrand, which is now PwC. So I know from her mentoring, it would be a great foundation for my future career, and it would always give me options on what to do. So I went to university in Scotland at 16. I studied manufacturing, engineering and accountancy in a joint honours. And when I was 18, uh, quite young, I was hired by EY in Glasgow um, on a whirlwind immersion weekend. So I started with EY at 20. I trained as a chartered accountant. And when I qualified, in Edinburgh. Um, After that, I moved to the London office of EY. It was really great, different, bigger office, more exposure to a breadth of clients. And I know it's the qualification that really helped me to secure my move to Virgin when I moved to a role in finance. The data-led trusted strategic advisor that I am today 
um, is grounded in those structured foundations that I learned from the early days. So I'd say the CA qualification is a great springboard for any career in business. Thank you, Samati. It's, it, it sounds like the your, your your cousin and having a sort of a role model there uh, was very very important. I think you're one of the first first guests on this show to, to to kind of share that share that experience of having someone to to look up to. So I, I guess very very keen just to understand a little bit more about that um, because I think that's probably quite a big factor and must have been quite a big factor. Sorry, in your in your decision making to become a, a CA. Yeah, absolutely. The the role of a role model and a sponsor can be really um, important in a young person, well, and an older person's career choices and as they develop. Fantastic. And I guess moving on to another topic, which I and I know you're extremely uh, uh, passionate about and you've been a, a, a voice for, is the piece around gender parity in the workplace. And I know that tackling the issue of gender balance is an imbalance, sorry, is something that you're extremely passionate about. So what, what was the catalyst for you in terms of really wanting to champion this cause? Sure. So, yeah, gender imbalance is something I've noticed more in recent years as I progress in my career. So if I think back when I was back at university, particularly in the manufacturing engineering classes I was in, it was only 5% female but I perhaps wasn't as aware of conscious of it back then. It's just the way that it was. So it actually hit me when I was heading up a program around four years ago to create the largest airline joint venture in the world. And I asked myself, why in a negotiation meeting with 25 people, was I the only woman in the room? So as a female leader of color, the more senior I've progressed, particularly in the commercial, financial and strategic circles and functions that I work work in, and that's the functional path I have chosen, the more rooms I'm in and I recognize I'm the only. And this concept of the only is something that's not been researched a lot. But more recently, I've started to read a lot more, and particularly the UK government published reviews to shine a light on barriers like this. So if anyone's interested, please read the Parker Review, which looks at diversity, um, ethnic diversity at senior levels, or also the Hampton Alexander Review, which looks at female diversity at senior levels. So I recognize I'm in a, a position of privilege, both being a chartered accountant, but also with the seniority and influence that I have. And I can empower and help sponsor women move up the travel industry. It's an industry I love so much and where I know where people from any background can give so much. There's a lot to unpack there in terms of your answers, especially around um, the joint venture that you're involved with, which which I'll touch on shortly. But I guess in terms of the piece around, I guess, gender gender parity and gender imbalance in the workplace, um, there's, a, there's a lot there in terms of what you've shared in terms of your experience and some of the reports as well. I know from my personal perspective, in terms of the the World Economic Forum, the Global Gender Report, which I read recently, is an annual report. Um, it gives it's some it, it's some, it's a sobering read, especially in terms of the headline fact that none of us will see gender parity in our lifetimes or in our children's lifetimes, according to their estimates, and that gender true gender parity across the workplace uh, won't be achieved for another hundred years, according to the World Economic Forum estimates, which um, in some respects. I find 
to be very honest, quite pathetic that the we we can't get to that point of complete parity. Um, and I know that you've cited a number of other quite important re- reports, especially the Parker review, looking at seniority and board level positions there. But I guess diving into that bit more deeper, um, do you find that you being the only person in the room uh, means that the onus and the pressure on you to talk about these issues is even greater? Not necessarily. I mean, what I feel is I have a position where uh, I can start a conversation and I have felt that some of the support I've received that's been the strongest has been men driving change. I've been very lucky to have very strong sponsors, allies and advocates for me, my career and women. So this is an issue for everyone, not just women. Um These men I've seen and observed myself, they know that when we lift women up, we lift up the families, we lift up the communities, and all of society benefits. And if I'm honest, I've also noticed recently that younger men, especially those who are joining the workforce, it's inspiring to see how aware they are of this and in tune with this topic. So I feel like it's being spoken about and uh, is an easier conversation to have even compared to 10 years ago. That, that's really fantastic to hear. And I, and, I, and I echo similar thoughts in terms of we look at the sort of new generation, so to speak, of, 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 of Gen Z uh, individuals joining the workplace who are much more aware of these, of these challenges. I guess, does that mean for you, do you, do you feel then as a, as a senior uh, leader in terms of in, in your industry, that you're much more committed now and you have much more support to 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 um, affect change in this area of gender parity? Yes, I've really felt it strongly um, around, you know, the creation of the Women in Aviation and Aerospace Charter, the way that's been welcomed and supported by so many tells me that it is an easier conversation to have now and people want this agenda move forward. So I think that's a perfect segue to explore explore the creation of the, the Women in Aviation and Aerospace Charter a bit further. So you can, can you give us a bit more background in terms of your work in that space? Yeah, sure. So um, when gender pay gap reporting became a requirement in the UK in 2017, so that means all UK companies with employees more than 250 people um, had to report on their gender pay gap. And that really became a catalyst and a platform that enabled me um, to take the conversation to the next level. The pay gap information, it's fully downloadable from the government website uh, and it allows one to benchmark different companies and how they're performing. And most importantly, the data enables someone like me to have a non-emotional and fact-based conversation on gender imbalance. I love Excel. I love data. Anyone who's a chartered accountant kind of grew up pivoting data and things. So um, I use that data to have conversations at Virgin Atlantic. And the data led us um, to, with our board, set up our first diversity and inclusion steering committee and our strategy called Be Yourself. And it was sponsored by our CEO, who's a great supporter uh, of this topic. I recognized also, though, at the same time that one organization on its own moving and working on this is not going to move the dial. So some stats for the aviation industry. Only 3% of airline CEOs are female. 
only 5% of pilots globally are female and only 10% of the engineers. So I knew that industry needed to work together and it's bigger than one organization. So this is when I joined forces with Catherine Bennett. She is SVP of Airbus in the UK, and she's more on the aerospace side, which has very similar issues. So we joined forces and together we were influenced by the great work of the Women in Finance Charter, which was led by the UK Treasury and Virgin Money. So we together created and co-founded the Women in Aviation and Aerospace Charter. And with the government's full backing, Prime Minister Theresa May at the time launched the charter with us at the Farnborough Air Show. And the charter, it commits organizations to work together to build a more balanced and fair industry for women. So we started with 40 founding signatories with big names like EasyJet, Rolls-Royce, Virgin Atlantic, Heathrow Airport, and of course, Airbus. And now two and a half years on, we have over 220 signatories. I must say that ensuring UK government support was really key. So we had support from the Department for Transport, from BASE and the Civil Aviation Authority, and we still do today. They sit on our board for the charter. It's really important to say that every person who works on this charter works pro bono. It's on the side of our desk. There's about 40 amazing men and women who work on this charter. And I'm so proud of the team who've got us here um, and continue to take us to the next level. It's an absolutely groundbreaking work you're, you're doing there, Samati. Um, one thing that I'd like to sort of just delve a bit deeper into is the fact that I guess you recognised quite quickly and quite early on that this was broader than an organisational issue. And I know a lot of people in their workplace will often recognise that. And I guess you took the proactive step to to then make talk about this at an industry, industry-wide level. I guess the one question I've got for you specifically is, is around how did you find that experience of going from this being an organizational conversation to then um, um, expanding this out further in terms of wider set of stakeholders? Yeah, so the power of collaboration and the power of partnership, it's something that's become closer to me, my heart, both in business, whether it's launching the joint venture uh, with numerous airlines or here in launching the charter uh, with so many organizations. When you work together, when you listen, when you observe and you connect with others, you can drive change faster when you have a common purpose and goal. So, yeah, at first it seemed difficult to get the first five, first 10, but when we got to about 40 signatories, it started to become easier and easier and a movement started. And I find it absolutely an amazing feat and achievement for you to have signed over 220, um, well, have over 220 signatories in the space of two years. That That's a, and a huge achievement, especially something, as you mentioned earlier, that has been done off the side of your desk, so to speak, and done purely on a, on a voluntary basis. I guess another follow-up question for you there, Samarty, and something we touched on in our in our previous question is around the role of of men in this discussion, right? Because this 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 topic impacts um, women in society um, directly. However, there's a there's a big conversation around the role of men and the role of men as allies on this on this topic. So, what are your thoughts around the role that men have been playing, especially in the context of this charter? Yes, absolutely. So. Um... 
you know, March 8th is International Women's Day, a very exciting day in the calendar uh, for me specifically. I mean, some people look forward to whether it's Valentine's Day or other other birthdays. I look forward to March 8th every year. It's such a celebration. Um, and what I've noticed is the importance of inclusive leadership on this topic. Um, it has to start at the top. And as I mentioned, in the aviation industry, with only 3% of airline CEOs being female, that tells you 97% are male. I have been lucky and have observed the support that this topic has had at the top of the airlines that I've worked with. So, you know, leaders being personally and publicly committed to drive change. I'll give you some examples, whether it's Shai Weiss, the CEO of Virgin Atlantic, or Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta Airlines. They're personally and publicly committed to driving this change. And it's not just them, as I said before, it's at all levels. Um, on the charter, we have a gentleman called Nick Goff. He effectively helps us facilitate and coordinate our board. And he inspires me every day with the work that he does. I would actually say, Part of the reason we've got to 220 signatories is because of his passion, dedication and drive to help this cause to move forward. Well, that's absolutely fantastic to hear, Samarty. And obviously, given the stats of the industry, I would have assumed the majority of signatories would, would have been men in this instance, um, given the, the demographic makeup of the industry. And it's so wonderful to see the 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 allyship that you're getting on on affecting change, especially given the context that every single person involved is is doing this on a, on a voluntary voluntary basis. So that brings me on to, uh, on to one of the topics for today's session as well, which is around uh, International Women's Day. And we know March March eighth um, is a is a very important annual time in in the calendar. And this year's theme actually is choosing to challenge. And so in the context of gender uh, bias and inequity. So, Samadhi, how important is it to you around having a culture and business that is open to individuals calling out bad behaviour and pointing out imbalance? Yeah, sure. So what I've noticed is the importance of setting the tone at the top. So leadership being aware, educated and understanding the bias and systemic barriers that dis disproportionately thwart um, whether it's women leaders or leaders from minority backgrounds, um, it's really important for these leaders to become change agents. I've, I've seen that a lot, and that, that's really what starts to drive the change. There's so many other actions that you know, companies can take, but inclusive leadership at the top is absolutely critical. On, on that topic around leadership, and it's very, very important to have uh, visible leadership in this in this space. I guess what what advice would you give to to those listeners who may be uh, sort of entry level in terms of their career or mid level management who who may be experiencing some of these challenges around um, gender gen, gender inequality or any other issues in the workplace? How do you think they should effectively look to engage with leadership on a topic such as this? Yeah, sure. So I mean. There's a lot of practical steps that I can, um, you know, give to leaders to who are beginning on this journey of becoming an inclusive leader. Uh, first of all, I would say authentically listen, ask questions, and be curious 
of people who might be different to you in your organization or team. We need to unleash the potential of the world's greatest minds, and it's irrespective of gender, of race, or their background. So for those leaders, there sometimes is a lot of talk around these topics, whether it's gender or race or others, but we must help to translate those words into actions. So maybe if I can give some resources, a couple of practical recommendations. So the Women in Aviation and Aerospace Charter, we've just launched the Resource Hub. So that's just this month we've released it. It's about 100 resources online, um, all free to access, that gives people practical tips on what to do to drive change. So it's for companies, for individuals, for leaders, and for HR teams. So um, I'll make sure that there's a link into the uh, podcast notes to give you a link to where that is. And the second is, I'm really proud to have recently joined Oliver Wyman. And Oliver Wyman's just released an excellent report um, entitled Making the Invisible Visible. And it's, again, very practical steps on the path forward to breakthrough progress. So, Marty, another area that I've discussed quite heavily is around reporting. And so do you think that organizations should become more transparent when it becomes when it comes to reporting on EDI metrics? And do you think linking this performance directly to leadership performance reviews would help or hinder the situation? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I've seen that organizations that treat DNI, diversity and inclusion, as a business initiative and strategy, that's where you see it you know, moving the dial. They're the ones that ask themselves questions like, do we have an explicit plan to get X women in leadership roles by Y date? Or they ask themselves, do we track progress and do we hold our business leaders accountable for the changes? So if I can share the four principles Uh, of the Women in Aviation and Aerospace Charter, which, you know, they're the principles that organizations that sign up, um, you know, sign up to. This shows the importance of data targets and senior accountability to drive change. So the four principles are, number one, having a member of your senior executive team who's responsible and accountable for gender diversity and inclusion. The second principle is setting internal targets for gender diversity in senior management. Principle three is publish progress annually against those targets in reports on your own website or your annual um, report. And fourth and finally, have an intention to ensure the pay of the senior executive team is linked to delivery against any internal targets on diversity and inclusion. So metrics, accountability, they're the things that are going to move the dial on this topic. And that's what the charter and the research that has been done shows is what makes the difference. And to play devil's advocate here, Samati, and I think it's worthwhile to play a devil's advocate, um, do you believe that beyond metrics that leaders need to have an an academic and emotional understanding and investment before we can get to the commercial reporting on this topic? 
Well, that probably links back very much to leaders being fully rounded, inclusive leaders. Um, being a leader and what is defined as a great leader is not easy to define. Um, and often, well, through the report of making the invisible visible, it actually gets into the leadership traits that men and women pick as being the key traits actually differ slightly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that goes into how do leaders become more rounded, more aware, more curious to help create a better environment for the people in their organizations. And I guess there's a piece around accountability here, but how do you think those principles are will support you yourself in terms of the work you're doing, the charter and also industry change as a whole? Yeah, so um, what those principles enable is because all organizations who've signed up have you know signed up to those principles, it really allows cross-organization best practice sharing, thought leadership about how one organization is tackling a challenge versus the other. It allows networking, communications. It allows the government also to be aware of what the challenges are. And it allows more reporting and holding those signatories to account because they've signed to the principles and they must report on them. So all these things together also allow collaboration to move the agenda forward for the industry. Completely agree. I think the collaboration piece is is really key to moving the dial at an industry or, or societal level. So moving on, and I think another topic that is has been front and centre for a lot of people recently is that of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's been a huge challenge in many different ways. But what do you see as the key obstacle to people's career growth in the new normal of COVID work? Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected everyone and everywhere. But it also affects different groups of people differently and it deepens existing inequalities. And so when crisis strikes, women and girls are harder hit by economic impacts. So around the world, women generally earn less and they save less. And they're the majority of single parent households. And they disproportionately hold more insecure jobs in the informal economy or the service sector that's been really badly hit. So this leaves them less able to absorb the economic shocks compared to men. So for many uh, families, so as we record this, we've got school closures and lockdown in the UK, social distancing measures, and these things do increase the unpaid, unpaid care and domestic load for women generally at home, making them less able to take on or balance paid work. So for women who want to pursue promotions or progression at the highest level, the pandemic may well have slammed the brakes on. And also the COVID-19 pandemic has led the UK government to exempt companies from having to file gender pay gap reporting and data. So as a result, only half of the companies did. And in my view, women's workplace equality, unfortunately, will have been set back by this crisis. And unless interventions are made to avert it, um, you know, 
this will set us back. So that's why, you know, this International Women's Day in 2021, the choose to challenge theme is perfect. We can all choose to challenge and call out bias and inequality. We can all choose to seek out and celebrate the achievements of women or people from minority backgrounds. And from challenge comes change. And so all collectively, through this challenge and this pandemic, we can create a more inclusive world. I absolutely love that, Samati. From challenge can come change. And I think that's a very, very important um, statement that, you, that you've made there. And I think a lot of people resonate that. I know I personally do. So Samati, moving on to sort of managing your career and career growth, something which I feel you've done absolutely fantastically and you've had such a breadth of experience. And so I guess the question really is, what advice would you offer to women or, for, or to people from minority groups in terms of managing their career and their career growth? It's a great question and one I get asked quite a bit. So first and foremost, um, I'll say that I noticed that I reached a certain point in my career where my capability or my education or my skills in terms of technically doing the job, working hard, delivering results, it only gets me so far. The capability becomes table stakes. And it really was around five years ago when I noticed I needed to switch up the ingredients to move forward. So the career path becomes easy as you're moving up earlier on in your career. And it's when you get more senior, you start to think, huh, have the rules changed or do I just not know what they are? So I have two specific ingredients that I've reflected on that I'd like to pass and pay it forward with. So first of all, to make sure you're not left on the sidelines, particularly as you progress your career. Number one is confidence. I read an article five years ago called The Confidence Gap in the Atlantic. And there's a book also called The Confidence Code. I would say that book changed my life. It highlighted that there's a vast confidence gap that separates the sexes. So compared with men, Women don't consider themselves as ready for promotions, or they predict they'll do worse in tests, and they generally underestimate their abilities. And a growing body of evidence shows that, you know, that can be really devastating, that lack of confidence. So success, it turns out, correlates just as closely with confidence as it does with competence. But I know, and I've worked on it, the good news is you can work on your confidence. It can be acquired. It's a journey I've really worked on personally over the last few years in terms of believing in myself and believing I'm talented and capable and I belong in the room. The second ingredient is gaining sponsorship. So As people from, you know, who are either women or from minority groups look to manage their careers, the importance of sponsorship is key. You have to find sponsors who can advocate for you, publicly sponsor you and fight for you in settings where you cannot fight for yourself. Sponsor who will speak for you when you're not in the room. And I'm really thankful to my sponsors. I can think of specifically three male advocates 
who've helped me to get to where I am today. So they're my two ingredients, confidence and gaining sponsorship. I think confidence is a really, really important one. I know we've talked about the topic of confidence in many different ways on this podcast series, especially around imposter syndrome and how many, I think many individuals in the workplace sometimes suffer from that, especially as you move to more senior positions. And the piece around building your confidence is very, very important. That also reminds me of a study I recently read around educational attainment in, in, in women, especially in the context of South Asian women being higher than their counterparts, but that doesn't necessarily translate into the corporate world. So I guess there's probably a question around confidence that that's came up as one of the key drivers in that research. So it's got me definitely got me thinking around that topic more deeply as well. And finally, around sponsorship. I think that's very, very important in the context of building your social capital. I know I personally gained a lot from having senior sponsorship and support, more so as a sounding board, but also being able to champion your, yourself as an individual and the things that you're working on. Moving, moving on and, and thinking about the future, Samarti, what do you think success would look like for you now in the next 10 years in terms of the work that you're doing in this space? Yeah, so it's always great to look forward and think in the 2030s. So both professionally and personally, for me, it would be to continue my journey to develop the aviation industry to the next level. The challenges from COVID-19 is going to reshape our sector significantly in the coming years. There's so much to do to rebound, recover, re-emerge, re-energize, rebuild, all the re's need to happen. Um, so I'm excited that I've joined the amazing team at Oliver Wyman. I know with diversity of thinking and collaborating across the industry, we can solve together the new complex problems, whether it be sustainability, safety, or innovating across the customer journey. So the airline industry I know is gonna look very different in the 2030s from today, that's for sure. But success for me would that be would be that in that in ten years. So my son, who's nearly twelve, uh, when he begins his working career in about ten years' time, the conversation will be different for the next generation on International Women's Day in 2031. Um, you know, I'll be looking at that day in my calendar, and I'll remember this conversation. I know that a lot of the people listening to this podcast are chartered accountants. ICAS has close to 25,000 members across the world. And I know as a chartered accountant, I have privilege. And with that privilege, I have a personal responsibility to pay it forward. So what I hope is uh, in you know, success in the next 10 years is that the chartered accountants who are leaders leaders in our communities and the organizations we're in, we drive change for the future. We have the power to use our privilege in our organizations, in our communities, in our families, with our neighbors and our networks to lead the conversation and be the change makers for those who come after us. Thank you, Samati. I know I'll, I'll keep a calendar reminder for 2031 uh, so we can pick up this conversation again to see the, all the fantastic work you're, you're doing in this space. And even from a personal point of view, I think it's very nice to hear that, you know, you've got that commitment to this, to this topic. And no doubt when, you're, when your son enters the, the workplace, I'm sure you will have made a material difference to both the industry and also to this topic around gender parity in the workplace.
So Marty, thank you so much for your time today. We've had huge amounts of wisdom from yourself and got to hear about the fantastic work you're doing to address gender imbalance in the workplace. If any of our listeners wanted to connect with you, um, how could they do that? Definitely. So you can find me on LinkedIn under Sumati Sharma CA, or you can find me on Twitter on at nonstopflight, all one word. Thank you so much, Sumati. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you, Indy. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you again.